and everybody has it back again. Don't take no mess at the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrapple it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. I think that, you know, whatever moves the Blazers make, you know, are going to be made with, you know, Damian Lillard in mind, right? Like everything is going to be sort of how do we push this current product, you know, as far as it can go. I mean, I don't foresee another reshaping, right, of of the roster unless it is a – unless it is like an Anthony Davis trade, you know, or a a Kevin Durant deal or – I mean, there – I mean – I think that for the most part, your your core is going to be Damian Lillard, Jeremy Grant, you know, and then maybe everything else is sort of on the table. Um, you know, you know, Simons, Simons and Sharp are the two that I would be surprised if get traded. Right now, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I I just don't know. I mean, it depends. Again, it totally depends on on who becomes available. But like, right. you know, David Aldridge, you know, the great David Aldridge had a piece this week in the athletic, uh, the hall of famer, David Aldridge, yes. by the way, you have um, to refer to him by his official title, uh, H O F D A. And yes. he, um, he had a piece that was sort of a look at the teams that would maybe trade for LeBron James and <laughs> as a thought exercise. And he's very clear. It's a thought exercise, yes. but I, I appreciate thought exercises. I had a thought exercise earlier this season on whether I thought in it, if the, if, if the blazers should include Shaden sharp in a trade for Kevin Durant, like, because I think that that's like the kind of question. And you came down you were... on no at the time, right? I did. I did. Do you still feel that way? Less so. Less so. Um, but <clears throat> only because like I'm high enough. I was at the time high enough on Shaden Sharp, and I'm still high on him to say that like I would rather take a little bit of a roll of the dice that in three years he's going to be enough of that like frontline starter that, you know, I don't have to also include, you know, Simons and, you know, whoever else to make that deal work. Like I can get there internally. Um, I, th- I think I'm a little bit more now, like if you can get, if you can get KD and put KD on this team, I guess, I think you just do it. Right. Um, and you, and you suffer the long-term consequences. But I mean, if you have a guy who can be, who can be an all-star for 10 years, you know, if, if, if he's that guy, that's a hard thing to, to pass up when, you know, KD's only got, you know, however many years left. But so anyway, fan of thought exercises, but David Aldridge, you may have seen this piece, Sean. I actually um, did, yeah. He put he put the Blazers sort of in the middle on the LeBron thing as sort of being uh, kind of interesting, but not yet good enough where, you know, it would make sense to trade for LeBron. And I would put them higher. Like, I would put them high. I would put them in the mix of teams that would make sense. Like, he, he came down on there being like six teams, like Atlanta, Phoenix, you know, a couple others. I would probably put the Blazers in that mix. I think the Blazers could put together a trade package in the event. I feel like I'm turning into Aaron Fentress because this is a big Aaron Fentress talking point. <laughs> but in the event LeBron like were to ask out of LA next year or in the summer, I think the Blazers package would be up there. You know, depending on what the Lakers want. Like if you could offer Simon's Sharp and and 
and trade and or sorry and draft compensation, like that might be two starters for the next twelve years. Like I just I don't know. Um, I don't see a whole lot of offers that are that much more compelling than that. Dame, LeBron could play next to Dame, you know. I mean, which is something that obviously he has at least some stated interest in. Um, I don't think anybody really ever imagined it being in Portland. Anyway, I don't think it's happening. I don't think it's that realistic, but I just would have put the Blazers in a different tier of that conversation if I was, if I was DA or if DA had asked me. So the thing that I think people don't realize about, I'm I'm looking at this. I did read this piece when it came out. uh, That is that like, you know, there's only a certain amount of franchises that I think LeBron would dignify playing for and they have to be like prestige legacy brands that's kind of a, a thing that i that i like he's not gonna go play for the atlanta hawks like i'm sorry like i know like you can or the new like the new orleans pelicans are on here like i understand that like yeah they probably have like the best trade package or whatever in a vacuum but like it is like beneath lebron's dignity to play like you know he played for the uh, cleveland's a different thing because he was born you know in ohio but if he has the, but if he has the opportunity to play for the franchise that once uh that once employed Kelgen Blevins, like he's got to, he's got to jump at that. I actually, first of all, do you, do you think LeBron does end his career with the Lakers? Oh man, I do probably think that he does. So probably. I have a, I have a, I have a, can, this is like half serious, but also like an actually probably more serious than I, you know, am presenting it as, but I have a theory as to where LeBron is actually going to end his career. And which Your team Orlando is magic. No. Uh, so as as I've just as we've established, LeBron has to play for a prestige like like historical like legacy brand befitting of his stature, right? The Seattle SuperSonics. No, although the room the rumor is that the Fenway Group that he's already like bought in with on the mm-hmm. on the uh, the Liverpool and the Red Sox is going to get the, the Vegas team, and he did that press yeah. like that. That's the one rumor. Yeah, he's he's didn't he say like Adam? I want the team in Vegas. Yes, and he said that because like plans are already in motion for yeah. them to get the Vegas team. But anyway, but 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 let's say that one doesn't happen because I don't think expansion is going to happen by the time he retires because it's yeah, just would, it's just too, it's, it's just too far down the road. Like it's going to be Seattle and Vegas, but like the TV deal has to get done first, and then it's like a couple years of ramp up. I don't think he's going to yeah. still be playing in twenty twenty eight. But anyway. What is a historical prestige legacy brand that has been linked very strongly to LeBron in free agency going back to the first time he was a free agent in 2010 that is so thirsty for that type of relevance that they would absolutely say, yeah, we'll use our first round pick to draft Bronny so that we get the LeBron farewell tour. I mean, I'm assuming you're talking about the Knicks. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't you see that? And also, wouldn't it be the most Knicks thing ever to get like forty-four-year-old actually wash LeBron when they finally get LeBron? Yes, yes, it would. <laughs> Which I actually thought would be the most Lakers thing ever when they got him. And I wrote once or twice that he seemed to be over, past his prime, and then he nope proved me wrong. <laughs> nope. And even this the year, one, he's still the, incredible. The one that uh, I actually went back and looked at this the other day. Um, the Lakers played a game at Madison Square Garden against the Knicks, uh-huh. and LeBron just—I can't remember if he was, ba- he was. I think he was still on. He, he'd come back from the torn groin, but like he was still dealing with the groin. And he, uh, this was the, that first year we've talked about, and he, yeah. um, and he, like the, the, I think the Lakers had like a seven-point lead with ninety seconds left, and uh-huh. it just frittered it away. And LeBron took three shots in the last minute, like two like long threes with a lead, and then. When they were down by one, 
or two, one or two, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, he like backs down Mario Hazonia, who blocks LeBron's potential game winner. And I Lakers was like, legend Mario Hazonia. I'm like, if, 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 if LeBron is getting blocked on a game winner by Mario Hazonia at the garden, like maybe it's just over. <laughs> well, I mean, in Mario Hazonia's mind, those two are on equal planes. That's I know, the thing. It's, a, it's incredible. It's I had incredible. I had Mario for a year here in Portland. I real I mean I like him a lot as a guy. He's like a huge trash talker, kind of a fun guy to talk to. But he genuinely thinks he's one of the best players in the NBA. The LeBron stopper, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I actually I kind of felt bad for Knicks beat writers last year because LeBron missed their game at MSG, and so they didn't have the opportunity to carry on the 15 year tradition of asking LeBron how special MSG is to play in. That's a story every single year with him. Going it, back and it to... was with and it was with Kobe too. You know, oh, yeah. like it was always. You know, when 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 Kobe would roll through, you know, it'd be these epic press conferences and it'd be like, oh, "How great was it to be back here where you scored, you know, sixty two <laughs> points?" And you know, it's oh, great. It's really it's really great. That's that's what I'm saying about like LeBron only playing for like a legacy brand franchise because like you have it has to be in order to be of LeBron's dignity and like. Credit to the Miami Heat because they built they 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 only started in the late '80s, so they're not one of like the original NBA franchises yeah. from the '60s. But they've built like Pat Riley has built that thing into like an organization that has that sort of reputation. So they're sort of like grandfathered in. But like this is kind of what I'm saying about like LeBron is not going to go to the Memphis Grizzlies that doesn't have like this 50 or 60 Ooh, year like tradition. I like that one. No, like from a basketball one. standpoint, that's a great fit. But like. It's beneath like the the sta- you know you know what I'm you know what I'm saying right like the the whole reason he I went do. to do the- I wonder why did LeBron not even look at the Clippers if he wanted to live in L A and go and play for no, I, you know, I, I an actual it. competent organization is what I, I'm saying I I get it and I I think that you know all things being equal you're right but like if LeBron decides he doesn't want to be with the Lakers anymore he might have to widen his scope just a little bit. Uh-huh. How that happy said, are you? I, that- I I do think he's I do think he's going to retire a Laker. I think that like yeah. I think he is at thirty eight years old. I think that quality of life matters. His you know you know I think he has really benefited and enjoyed being able to watch yeah. Bronny play his games. You know Bryce has a couple years left. Zuri is God. Zuri might be ten by now. Like I mean, so it's like I think I think being home with his family, you know, at their actual home is um is something that he is not going to be very eager to give up. How happy are you that this isn't your problem anymore? You know, it's really funny because, like, I did, I, I, I devoted like a decade of my life to covering the Lakers, yes. and it became a big part of my identity. And you know, uh, the opportunity to come to the Oregonian and 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 take on this uh, this job was maybe the biggest no brainer of my life, maybe the second biggest no brainer of my wife since mar- or my life since marrying my wife. Yeah, and got to put I, that caveat in. And I, um, but I really thought like. I'm going to have like severe FOMO or I'm going to like feel this hole because I, you know, this has just been a big part of me and, you know, the kind of the, uh, the highs and lows and the drama and, you know, being, being on the road with, you know, you, you know, the other writers are, you know, you're the comp- your competitors, but like, you know, Dave McMenamin, Dan Wakey, Kyle Goon are, are some of my closest friends too. So it's like, this is just going to be like a real weird and like maybe difficult reset. And Sean, I was sitting in Sacramento the night before the Blazers season opener, watching the Lakers get pasted by 40 points at Golden State. And all I could think of was, I'm so glad this is not my problem anymore. 
so um i have not had that experience that i thought i was going to have where i was like gonna really like feel um you know that 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 whole like it's been it's been great to move on have new challenges new teams new faces um more uh a, you know a wider wider swath of stories to pursue mm-hmm. and to um examine new people to get to know i mean that's been the, be- the best part of the job this isn't really what you asked me but no it is um, it, but, it but, sort that, of but, is. That, but, but that is like what you know has made you know leaving that part of my life behind so much easier because like yeah okay so it's not my problem anymore i don't have to deal with the nightmare that was lakers pr anymore i don't have to deal with like the complicated layers of you know like you know what's true what isn't with the lakers and who's really running things and you know the the massive you know fight to just get to lebron on any given night like they're are a lot of things that are nice to not have to deal with. I mean, there are different problems, right? right. In the it, 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 whatever, but um, but uh, for the most part, it's less about the old thing not being my problem anymore, and being so excited that the new thing is like what I get to do. Right, but when you're when you're covering the Lakers, you know this is especially true when it you know there's like a LeBron or a Kobe there. Maybe less so when it's you know those two years in between them when they were just terrible and nobody there was nothing really worth paying attention to nationally. Yeah. But like, and everybody yet they were every, still the biggest talking point in the league every morning because it was always about you know whatever trade that they were going to make, who they were going to get, right? What what was going on with Lonzo Ball and his dad? Like it was. It was still it was still the Lakers. Yeah, but, but like the point the point the point here is that you it just by covering the Lakers, not even being on the team or in the organization, just by covering the Lakers, you're a character on the TV show now. And then occasionally and, you'll and, get occasionally you'll get a plot line like when like, like when LeBron was like, Oh, Bill's always negative, and then he had to tweet out a week later, like, Oh, Bill's actually not that bad of a guy. Like you're a you're a character on the TV show now in a way that you're never gonna be when you're covering a team that isn't the Lakers. And yet there have been three TV shows and I haven't been a character on any of them. Like there are no royalties. Like just, just wait and wait until winning time gets up to the LeBron era. If they go into like season 20 or whatever, who, 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 who do I get to play me? That's very exciting to think about. Did you watch when, what did you think of winning time? I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't finish this, the first season, uh-huh. um, I, you know, not for any, you know, moral stand like right there was a there was a huge there was a huge it was almost like a full like sub industry of the nba media of like nba writers getting offended on behalf of jerry west about how how he was portrayed by the way i didn't think jerry west came off that bad in winning time yeah i again i didn't finish the season like i i thought in the first couple episodes it was pretty pretty harsh but i think also like i understand to some degree in television you're trying to build right character arc and you're trying to you know, the character has to start somewhere to get somewhere else. And like real life isn't always interesting enough for your structure. So I get that. I do think that like the, I do think there's something really interesting though, about like the treatment that real people get in like the serial sort of, yeah. um, you know, and the New York times did a story on this the other day where they talked about it, like, as it related to like princess Diana in, in the crown and Jerry West. Um, I think it's a really interesting question because there is like, you get, it's based on a true story. And it's based on sure, but like, you know, then you put these like really poignant and really impactful scenes in that paint a person in a certain light. And it's like, well, that didn't happen. Like, what is the viewer supposed to come away with? Anyway, I like what, what I watched of winning time. I lost it kind of partway through, but not because it wasn't good or I didn't think it was, it, it was compelling. I thought it really was. And I thought some of the casting was unbelievable. Like I thought, um, 
you know, I thought uh, John C. Riley as, as Jerry Buss was incredible. I thought the the guy who played Magic Johnson was, you know, unbelievable. And then I just thought it was I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun. It was fun to see basketball um, portrayed that way. And when I, you know, I know Jeff Perlman a little bit, and like when I heard that his book was going to be um, was going to be um, turned into an HBO series, I didn't see how. Like it felt very like how would you do that? How would you portray the basketball? How would you make it work? And um, I thought the show did work, you know, as, as, as much as I saw of it. So, yeah, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it too. And I also thought that it was kind of telling how mad everybody who was in it got about it. Well, so like I wrote a story like after the pilot and I uh-huh. think that, you know, there was, there was maybe some backlash publicly on the Jerry West stuff, but it really got going after um, Gary Vitti talked to me and, you know, really kind of, and said that he basically had walked off the set because of it. Because Gary Vitti had a cameo in an mm-hmm. early episode. Vitti was the longtime trainer of the Lakers. Yeah. And he had a cameo early on. And he was supposed to do like three more days of filming. And he's like, you know what? This isn't for me. Because like, you know, what I'm seeing, the Jerry West, the, the way I'm seeing Jerry West portrayed is not the guy I know. And so he walked off. And like, and that made, you know, a splash at the time. And to me, that's where I think there's the interesting question, you know, of like, you know, what is the viewer supposed to think? You know, Jerry West is an 85 year old man who's like, extremely distinguished famously competitive you know battles his demons very publicly um but was not like an outburst like violent you know kind of person like was not drinking at the office like that was you know something that like really offended people who know and love him like to see him like you know being portrayed as like a closet drinker at the lakers facility you know that was not um true to his character and so i do understand why people were upset um I just don't know what, I don't know what the, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Like, I get that it's a TV show and that like that there, there are liberties. And I think that that's just the the cost of doing business. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, it was like, there there were, there were three Lakers shows that came out all around the same time. One of them was that one of them was the magic Johnson one on Apple, which I watched the first two parts Mm -hmm. of and didn't really feel compelled to keep up with because it was just like the officially sanctioned version of magic Johnson. So it's going to sanitize it. And then I did not watch. Actually, you know what? I think I actually did watch the first like two parts of the Hulu one, and then I kind of lost interest in that one also for the same reason because it was just like I don't know. I just I feel I, I I feel like just generally speaking, I know it's like not apples to apples because those two are documentaries and this and Winning Time isn't. But when the people that the show is about are involved in something and have creative control over it. There's almost no way it's going to be good. The two exceptions are the Ron Artest uh, Showtime documentary and the mm-hmm. Dennis Rodman 30 for 30 because those two guys just, like, do not care about showing the negative parts of their lives and are totally happy to have it be a totally honest and transparent uh, What about The Last Dance? I enjoyed The Last Dance, but I think it would have been better if Jordan didn't have creative control over it. Yeah. I, so I didn't watch the Hulu one or the Magic one. Um for largely the same reason, you know, like I, you know, I know Jeannie bus and I know other members of the bus family and, you know, I understand the desire to like tell their story, you know, their way. Um, but I also just as a general rule, um, object to the trend of, I, I mean, not, not of athletes and, and sports figures wanting to tell their own story. I think telling your own story is great, but I think like in place of, you know, you know, really, you know, critically, uh, critical eyed, um, you know, journalism, you know, people talking to other people and, you know, you know, independent 
you know, storytellers, you know, peeling back the layers of somebody's somebody's story. Um, so like the player's tribune, I think has like value and its place. Right. But like, I think a lot of athletes see, saw the player's tribune and then it became, if they were going to do anything, they wanted it to be on their terms or they wanted it to be with their people or they wanted it to be, you know, something that they have control over. And I think something really gets lost in the, you know, in the way, you know, sports stories get told when it's being told by the people themselves exclusively. You didn't think that the Draymond Green mini documentary on TNT about the punch had journalistic integrity? <sighs> to me, the best version of those, like, player podcasts, like, or, I, to me, the best or, version of it have you, is the, uh, when it's former players talking to other former players. I really, really enjoy, you know, when all the smoke or uh, knuckleheads, which is the Darius Miles, mm-hmm. Quentin Richardson one, mm-hmm. when they have on like other former players, like other retired players who maybe aren't like the most well-known guys to like yeah. casual fans and they just go through their whole career. Like that's a great time, but like, I yeah. really don't need the like Draymond Green goes on his podcast with Kevin Durant and relitigates, you know, that fight that they had in the Clippers game and right. completely glosses over and it's totally revisionist history. I don't think anybody really benefits from that at all. Well, and like I remember when um, when Kobe did Muse on Showtime, yeah, and that was you know the, the the thing about that was that was told like basically single lens, you know, on Kobe. Kobe's the narrator. Kobe tells the story. You know, you don't there, there aren't really other voices in that documentary, right? And that wasn't the way it was originally done. You know, they originally did a ton of interviews, and there was a lot of supporting video where you know everybody around the Lakers was interviewed, and it was going to be like more of a fully fleshed out documentary about Kobe. And then Kobe sort of changed his mind and decided he just didn't want he didn't want those other voices. He didn't want it to be like a, you know an unfiltered look at how people viewed him or like viewed his story. He wanted to tell his own story, and you know. I thought it was an interesting watch. Like I enjoyed watching it at the time. Um, But I would love to see the footage from everyone else that is somewhere lost to history too. You know what footage I want to see? There's no way Jordan would ever let this out. But one of the things that came out during the last dance was some interview, I think with one of the producers of it, Hmm. that they sent the same crew or like they, you know, the, the way that like they had a, the, you know, they had a camera crew filming like every second of the '98, the final bull season. Mm-hmm. That same group, or that same crew, or that same whoever that was that actually filmed all that stuff, filmed every part of both of his Wizards seasons in the same way. Oh wow! That footage exists. I would mm-hmm. love to see that that similar style documentary about Jordan's like. He was still yeah. really good, but like it was kind of sad, and it was weird to see him in a not a Bulls jersey. Yeah. I want to see that documentary and that footage, but Jordan's never going to let that out. Well, and similarly, during Kobe's last season, he had a film crew that yeah. was everywhere on the plane, in the locker room, in the trainer's room, uh, you know, at practice. And so when I say I haven't made any of the shows, I, I mean you yeah, might make that one. I, I think I would be. I think I would be in that one quite a bit. And you know, as far as I know, there was a plan to do something with it. I think you know, obviously. His yeah. death um, may have changed timing, or you know wh- what that looks like. But my, I would I would suspect that there would still be a, you know, Last Dance style um, documentary using that footage because I mean it was you know a fascinating year and those guys were around absolutely everywhere. So um, I'd be curious to know what comes out of that too. I would like to see that. One other thing I, before I let you go, I 
want to get this is totally 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 different subject i don't really get too deep into covering other sports on here but something that you have done a lot of work on since you took the job at the oregonian has and i have a lot of i have i'm not i will fully admit i only sort of casually follow this whole story with the timbers and the thorns and uh-huh. Merritt, Merritt paulson and that like that whole situation but i have a lot of friends who are huge uh fans of those teams and a lot of them have told me privately because I think they know that I know you or that we run in like some of the same circles. They Mm -hmm. have told me privately that the stuff that you've written and the work that you've done on that story has been really impactful and that they really Mm -hmm. appreciated, you know, the way that you've covered it and the, you know, the, the amount of work, the amount of attention that you've given to it. Mm -hmm. And they think that it actually moved the needle. Do you think he's ever, he says he's selling the thorns. He's not selling the timbers. I think you and I are on the same page that that's a total half measure and that that's not Mm -hmm. an adequate resolution to, you know, what went down and what happened on his watch. Do you think he's ever actually going to sell the timbers or? Um, I'm less confident that he will than I would have been in like October and November because I'm really disappointed about what's happened sort of at the governing body level. You know, I think it's, um, I think that he has been, you know, the support he's gotten from, you know, Don Garber, who's the commissioner of the MLS, you know, and that there hasn't been like really a condemnation from, pardon me, like the soccer federation, I think has sort of given him a pass as the Timbers owner. Like to me, if you are unfit to own the thorns, you know, I don't really see how, you know, owning the timbers is any different. It's not just that you have women on the field, you know, you have women in your organization, you have women who you know work at all levels of your, you know, of your, of your company. And I don't know how the women who work for the timbers, um, you know, can, can, can trust that the issues that existed previously, and then especially within the thorns won't, you know, come up, you know, again in the future. That said, like, I mean, listen, like, I mean, I have been very clear. I think the only real out- acceptable outcome was him selling both teams. But, you know, the fact that he has, you know, is selling the Thorns has removed, has been removed from, uh, sorry, my dog has to go out, but like, uh, has been removed from, you know, operational decisions with the Timbers, has stepped down as CEO. Um, those are, I think those are significant steps. Um, but it kind of is like the Dana White situation where the person who, you know, committed the offense is doling out the punishment. And I, I think that that is kind of like an athlete telling its own story, right? It's going to be designed to protect him. And so everything, everything Merritt has done has been designed to like, you know, for him to ensure that he can hang on to the timbers and it's so far working. And I think that, you know, it's just going to be really interesting to see what happens with, um, you know, with this upcoming season uh, with, with the Timbers and how and how the fan base responds, because I, you know, if you listen to what, you know, the fan base has said and, and kind of what the, 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 the groups affiliated with the Timbers Army have said, you know, it's, you know, the pressure is going to remain. And I think if Merritt Paulson, you know, sees that he's still in for a fight and that the, you know, fans are going to show up to Providence Park with the banners, you know, you know, telling him to sell and that, you know, and, and protesting Timbers games and that this is going to be an ongoing long-term problem. 
you know, I think that there's maybe an, a, a, there, there, could, there could still be a, a sale in the, in the future, but I am disappointed that this was not resolved with one fell swoop, which is like what I think needed to happen. And with um, the, with a more uncompromised figure in the MLS commissioner's office, um, probably would have happened. Yeah, I hear you. I, I, you've obviously followed the story a lot closer than I have, but I don't disagree with. Yeah, I mean, yeah, anything. I mean, Don Don Garber has just been, you know, has been has propped up Merritt Paulson for a long time. I mean, Merritt Paulson, you know, was a real gift to the MLS. You know, he he revitalized a you know a fan base. He put a team in you know Soccer City USA, um, built an incredible. You know, you know, revitalized an incredible, you know, stadium and turned it into a, you know, a, a great soccer venue, one of the great soccer venues in the country. Um, Merritt Paulson has been good for MLS. And so has his dad who has pumped a lot of money into it. And so, um, you know, there's just a lot of, you know, I mean, they are very familiar bedfellows. And, and so, you know, at a time when I think Merritt Paulson needed to be held accountable, I think that there was a real willingness to sort of, um, or an eagerness to kind of make it go away from the top, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Well, Bill, I've taken up an hour of your time. You've been this. This was great. Thanks a lot for doing. What, what do you have coming up on the at the Oregonian? Just anything specific we should be looking out for? Are you just going to be you know covering the Blazers, I mean, covering the Ducks, covering? Yeah, the- I mean, yeah, you know, we've got obviously coverage of those things happening. I've got a couple of ideas, I guess I'd say, but not anything that's uh, I'm ready to announce. I would also direct people to um, our, our podcast as well, which is yeah. Sports by Northwest. I do a weekly episode, with usually an interview, yeah, and then uh, Aaron Fentress and Brenna Green from coin yeah. are doing a weekly episode uh, in conversation as well. So sports by Northwest. Um, I named it, uh, went through a lot of, a lot of failed pun names for the podcast. That's actually not that. Did you say on Twitter the other day that I shouldn't be allowed to name anything? I, I mean, I think anybody familiar with your body of work would find it hard to disagree with me about that. But, th- but this one was actually not that bad. Like I, I, I listened to your pilot episode. I heard some of the ones that were rejected. I think you guys ended up in the right place. Uh, I have a great name for a Blazers podcast. If anybody wants it, it, under the banner of seventy-seven, that's not bad. It's great. That's pretty good. I, I think our Blazers podcast is like Blazer, Blazers, Burble or something. Blazer, Blazer Burble, Blazer, <laughs> Blazer, Blazer Burble. babbling, Blazer babbling Burble. Blazers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I I think under the banner of seventy-seven is a better name than Blazer Burble. I don't know if that's actually the name of it. But, <laughs> I don't think it is, but it's something but, like that. Yeah. But thanks for doing should, this, Bill. In, instead of instead of just telling people great podcast names, I should trademark them and sell them. That's what. That's I'm not doing. a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. Second, secondary income. Okay. Yeah. Sean, thank you thanks, very much Bill. for having me. I really enjoyed it, and I'll see you yeah, at the yeah. arena this weekend. Yeah. yeah. yeah.